Welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm a certified personal trainer and nutrition coach, and my mission is to help you get into the best shape of your life, no matter your age, so you can show up as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. If this is your first time joining in, I want to welcome you and let you know that in addition to this podcast, you can find other great resources to help you on your health and wellness journey. Just head over to silveredgefree.com to download any of my free mini guides. There you'll find guides on exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle. So again, that's www.silveredgefree.com. Okay, so we're going to try something a little different today. I don't have a guest today, so this will be a solo show. I'll be back with my regular interview format next episode. Dr. Morgan Nolte is going to talk to us about insulin resistance and weight loss, but here's what we'll cover today. We're going to start with an update on my latest client, Brock. Brock is the creator and host of the Midlife Mastery podcast, and he hired me to help him reach some fitness and nutrition goals. And along the way, we thought it might be fun to collaborate on our respective podcasts by sharing our journey together. Me, of course, from the coach's perspective and Brock from the client's perspective. After that, we'll talk about the importance of protein specifically for older adults. And next up, I'll talk about one of my favorite books on healthy aging. It's a book titled The Barbell Prescription. And then we'll wrap up with a brief takeaway from last week's episode on algae and we'll preview my upcoming episodes. Okay, so let's talk about Brock Edwards. Brock and I initially connected as podcasters. He reached out to me asking about some software that I used, and we eventually ended up having each other on as guests on our respective shows. So Brock was, I think, episode 58, titled Midlife Mastery with Brock Edwards on my show, and I was on his show in an episode titled Getting Fit After 50. And somewhere along the way, Brock decided that since he was evangelizing midlife mastery, he wanted to walk the walk, so to speak. That is, he wanted to get back into shape. And in fact, he says he wants to get into the best shape of his life. He wants to start an exercise routine and he wants to eat better. So in many ways, Brock is a slow pitch across the plate for me, sort of my ideal client, if you will. He's 51 years old. He's married with a couple of kids. I think one of them's out of the house. The other's in high school. And he's been in and out of shape throughout his life. He's recently trained for and run a half marathon. And he's been strong in the past. At one point, he benched 245 pounds for a double. And that's that's pretty legit, right? That's strong. So Brock's main goal coming to me was weight loss, more specifically fat loss. He'd like to lose about 45 pounds, and he's got some secondary goals, one of which is regaining some of that former strength we just talked about, and I think he's got some more cardio endurance-type goals as well. So he's got a couple of benchmark lifts that he'd like to get back to, as well as kind of losing this weight. So let's let's start here. I, I want to pull these two main goals apart a little bit. And those two goals being weight loss and muscle gain or strength gain. It's really, really hard to grow muscle and lose fat at the same time. There's a technical term for this. It's called body recomposition. And while in some very limited cases, this is possible to achieve, you can lose fat and gain muscle simultaneously. It's really, really hard to do. 
And in fact, there are some coaches out there that would state it's impossible. But I've seen it happen. So it happens most often in newbies. When unconditioned people begin a decent resistance training program, that is, they begin regularly lifting weights, they can, in fact, lose some body fat and gain muscle at the same time. But full disclaimer, that's a very limited time window, and it generally plateaus pretty quickly. The other case where this might be possible is athletes who have their workouts and their nutrition 110% dialed in. In this case, both the fat loss and the muscle gain happen very, very slowly. So in addition to meticulous exercise and nutrition programming, these folks would need to be very, very patient. So that being the case, far and away, the prevailing advice is to focus on one thing at a time. So in Brock's case, we're going to start with fat loss. So we'll start our discussion today about his nutrition program. Like I said, Brock's got a pretty aggressive weight loss goal. He'd like to lose about 45 pounds. And when I asked him realistically when he'd like to hit that target weight, at least he didn't say in two weeks or next month, he said by New Year's. So basically that's about six months from now. And that works out to about eight pounds a month or two pounds per week. And that's aggressive. It's not crazy aggressive and it's definitely doable, but it's aggressive. So our first step is to calculate roughly what kind of a calorie deficit we need to hit this weight loss goal. Okay, as a general rule of thumb, we know that a calorie deficit of approximately 500 calories a day, or 3,500 calories per week, will equal roughly one pound of weight loss per week. So a 1,000 calorie deficit per day is required for a two pound a week loss. And I'll go on record right now stating I'm a big fan of that target weight loss of one pound per week. That's manageable for pretty much anyone, right? And if they are sedentary, we can split those calorie differences between calories lost during exercise and eating fewer and healthier calories. Now, Brock seems really committed and he's come out of the gate gung-ho with what I would estimate is probably close to a, a thousand calorie a day deficit, maybe not quite that. And note that this is just an estimate on my part. I really don't know what his calorie count was or his maintenance calories before I started working with him. But I do know how many calories he's eating right now because I've asked him to track everything he eats and drinks in my fitness pal. If you're unfamiliar with MyFitnessPal, it's one of the more popular apps out there for tracking your nutrition. So in addition to seeing Brock's total daily calories and weekly averages, I also see his macro splits and exactly what foods he's fueling himself with. Macros stand for macronutrients, which are your proteins, carbohydrates, and fats. Now, when I bring on a new nutrition client, the first place I like to start with is protein intake. In my experience, most people are under eating quality protein. Since Brock's primary goal is fat loss, we'll certainly start with a calorie deficit. That is, he's got to burn more calories on average than he's eating. But I'm also a huge proponent of small steps. Most diets fail, and some studies suggest that upwards of 90% of them fail, one of the primary reasons is that the way of eating is typically unsustainable. A lot of people greatly reduce their calories and remove whole food groups from their diets and in general are miserable while they're dieting. 
and let's just say for argument's sake that they meet their target goal weight, then what? Most people are elated that that horrible dieting ordeal is over with, and then they go back to the way they were eating before, which means they'll usually end up regaining that same 10, 20, 30 plus pounds again. Okay, anyway, back on track. So I've got Brock entering all of his food into my fitness pal. And while he's probably not loving this, I'll ask him to continue for about 30 days, at least 30 days. And the idea being that both he and I will gain some good insight into his current eating habits. And in fact, this is already happening. Brock is noticing now that some of the foods he's eating is high in sugar, high in sodium, things he hadn't really taken into account before. And the other thing that happens a lot of times when you ask somebody to start tracking everything they eat into an app is that it changes the way they eat, right? So where Brock or somebody else might mindlessly go to the fridge and grab something or go into the pantry and grab a handful of chips or some cookies, knowing that you got to put this into your app and that your coach is going to look at it may actually, in fact, change how you eat. My long-term goal for Brock's nutrition is to get him to adopt new eating habits. Ultimately, that would mean that he learns to eat the appropriate amount of healthy foods to sustain his ideal body weight. But in order for these new habits to form, we'll want to make slow changes over time and get him to adopt these small changes into his lifestyle. We've already made one fairly large change, and that's a significant reduction in calories. And if at any time I sense that this is causing him burnout or causing him to be hangry or to not have enough in the tank to complete his workouts, probably ask him to push out his goal weight date and eat some additional calories in the meantime. And in the big picture, I'll eventually want to switch from a focus on calorie restriction to strength gains, but that's still down the line a ways. Okay, so like I mentioned, we're starting with protein. That's all I'm really asking him to focus on. So Brock is a vegetarian. And I'll need to work around that, right? And I've heard other coaches refer to their vegetarian clients as carbitarians. So my challenge with Brock initially is just getting him to realize how much protein he's currently eating and to move him to a place where he's eating a wide variety of quality protein sources. So based on our first week together, it looks like he's certainly been under eating protein and overeating carbs, frankly. So depending on a client's goals, I like to see my clients hitting the standard 0.7 to 1 gram of protein per pound of goal body weight. To keep things simple, I've asked Brock to aim for 100 grams of protein a day. And it looks like he's been pretty successful in that. Now he's getting a lot of this protein from protein bars. He's He does do whey, so he's doing some whey shakes, which is a great way of getting extra protein in. So like I said, small steps. We're not really worrying about where he's getting that protein, just getting him into that habit of seeing what does 100 grams of protein a day look like? What does it feel like? We'll start working on the quality sources next, but right now, just trying to get him to get at that actual 100 grams a day and make sure that that's sustainable for him. So again, We'll start talking about some of his carbohydrate choices, some of his fat choices later. We'll work certainly on the quality of protein that he's taking. But right now, my main goal is not to overwhelm him with any drastic changes and just make sure he's taking these small steps forward. I'm a huge believer in the fact that even the smallest possible changes 
if they're done consistently over time, they can have huge long-term results. Okay, so enough of Brock's nutrition for right now. Very simple. Just like I said, we've got him on a, a calorie deficit, and I'm asking him to focus in these first couple of weeks just on protein. So in terms of Brock's exercise routine, I've started him on a very basic three-day-a-week full-body routine. And what this means is that each workout will work out the entire body. We're not messing around with any kind of body part splits or anything like that yet. And most of what I have him doing is lightweight compound movements. Things like barbell squats, deadlifts, bench presses, overhead presses, along with some mobility and accessory work. So Bronx stated that he had about 45 minutes to an hour, three days a week to dedicate to exercise. So this is where we're starting. My plan is to keep Brock at very light weights in that 10 to 15 rep range, at least for the first month. His RPE shouldn't exceed, say, a 7 at this point. And if you're not familiar with RPE, RPE just stands for Rate of Perceived Exertion. And it's a simple scale from 1 to 10, with 1 being no effort at all and 10 being, say, an all-out max effort. Now, I mentioned earlier that Brock has been strong. And he's no stranger to these compound lifts, which is fantastic for an online coach. And the reason I'm starting him light and keeping him there is I really want him to focus on perfect form in reintroducing these movements. He hasn't done them in a while. And what we're looking for in this really early stage is neurological adaptations. That is, I want his body to get familiar and learn these or maybe relearn these movements. So I'll still be applying the concept of progressive overload. That is, I'll still be adding a little bit of weight to the barbell each week. But the idea here is less looking for muscle and strength gains and more getting him comfortable grooving these movements. And I'll eventually ask Brock to film me to these main lifts before we move into the actual strength training phase here for him, where his weights will go up and his reps will come down. But for now, just baby steps. We're just getting him back used to working out, moving these weights. So here's a few audio clips of our first coaching session. And at this point, Brock has completed his first two of three workouts for the week. And as you'll hear, we had a couple of mishaps. One was 100% my fault for not explaining the RPE, the rate of perceived exertion that I expected from him as we started out. And the other is both of us overlooked the fact that Brock works out in a garage gym. He told me he worked out in a garage gym. And he lives in central Texas, and it's summertime, and so it's really, really hot. Let's talk a little bit about workouts because, and I have to apologize, I, I should have been a little, little clearer. I want you to start in that six to seven RPE range, not the nine and a half, 10. Oh my God, I almost died. I had to lay down. My bad. Let's, so let's back off. I want you in that, Hey, it feels good to be back and moving feeling, but geez, I'm ready to lift some heavy weights. You should, after you work out, you should feel like I could have done a lot more as opposed to crap that, that wore me out. So I noticed that you hit a I think it was a nine and a half on your first one. And I think you self-reported eight and a half on your second workout. So a couple of things there. One is, and I didn't think about this and I should have, because I've worked, I've had my own garage workout before and living in coastal North Carolina, it gets really hot and really humid and that can make some nasty workouts. 
So what time of day do you typically work out? Yeah, you know, the first one was in the evening. And so it was hotter. This morning was this morning. I typically don't do morning workout. I find just as I get older, my back isn't quite as happy about picking up heavy things first thing in the morning. Yep. But that or, you know, heat exhaustion seems to seem to be the better. And it wasn't too bad. And I figure if I got to move around and you've also got me doing, you know, just kind of the lighter stuff at the beginning to, to help get warmed up, which I'd never really done before. And so, you know, that I think that helps a lot. And, and some of them may just be, you know, my calibration on what a six, seven, eight, nine means. And some of it is really realizing that even when I was, you know, one, it's been longer than I thought since I'd really lifted anything. And two, I didn't go as long. So, you know, like two, three exercises each time, multiple sets, but so what, what I found with these two workouts is it wasn't necessarily any one thing. It was just kind of the cumulative total. By the time I got to the end, I was pretty spent. Okay. More um, volume than you're, you're probably used to, especially like you said, getting started back, right? Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, so not a terrible thing, but you know, I get to the end and like the first time I didn't complete the deadlift sets this time I, I went light on the reps for the leg lift. So, you know, I can't really rate that as easy. And I definitely felt this morning afterwards for a little while too. And yeah, now I feel great, but yeah, wasn't a four. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I also suspect just as I get back into it and get moving again, you know, that'll, that'll adjust out my body will adjust and trying to keep it lighter and knowing that I shouldn't be hurting too much at this time, you know, that helps too. So. Yeah. We, we want to groove these movements. We want you to completely own these the full range of beautiful movement on these, as opposed to any kind of real heavy exertion, right? We'll get to heavy because you've got some strength goals and we'll get there in short order, but really this is more of a neurological adaptation than a muscular adaptation, frankly, right? I mean, you're probably pretty familiar with that. Your body just kind of getting used to that movement pattern again, just keeping that supernatural uh, neutral spine as you're doing deadlifts and squats and making sure that you're getting that, owning that depth every time and really trying to get that perfect, perfect form. So I just guessed at weights, like, you know, we have to start somewhere, right? So really this first week is us trying to figure out what's what's going to be appropriate starting place. And we're going to start building some progressive overload, as you might guess, off of that. But we're going to spend a whole month just really going easy before we start getting more into what you're probably more used to, that that three by five of, I mean, today's my heavy, heavy set of squats, et cetera. We're, we're not going to get there for a little while. So feel free to change any of the weights that I have that I put in there because they're just placeholders. So why did I start Brock's nutrition program focusing on protein? I could have focused on a lot of different things. And like I said, I typically, depending on the client, like to start with protein first. Up to a third of older adults do not eat an adequate amount of protein. And this lack of quality protein combined with, of course, a more sedentary lifestyle puts older adults at a higher risk for deteriorating muscles, compromised mobility, let's see, slower recovery times from illness and injuries, as well as just this loss of general functional independence. 
In fact, seniors are not able to break down and utilize protein as easily as when they were younger, so they may need more protein as they age. Research shows that including a quality protein source with every meal is a great way to help lose weight and improve body composition, which, of course, are most people's goals as we age, right? Protein increases levels of appetite-suppressing hormones and simultaneously reduces hormone levels that trigger hunger. What this means is that you feel fuller, which leads to consuming fewer calories, which, after all, that's how we lose weight. Also, your body actually burns more calories digesting and metabolizing proteins. And similarly, a high intake of protein has been shown to increase your metabolism, which of course in turn burns more calories. So keep in mind when we're talking about eating quality protein, we're not just looking to lose weight. We want to lose fat and feed muscle. And without adequate protein, your body begins to lose muscle mass as well as bone strength. Protein's essential for building and repairing our bodies at a cellular level, and adequate healthy protein intake helps your body recover from all these workouts, injury sur surgeries, illnesses. It helps maintain healthy vision, and it's vital for your balanced hormones and digestive enzymes. Important all the way around. Okay, so we've made a case for why protein might be critical as we age. So how much protein should you eat? Well, First things first, you'll need to know how much protein you're currently eating. That's a very helpful benchmark. And there's, again, a lot of great mobile apps out there that easily track how much protein that you're eating. We mentioned MyFitnessPal earlier on, and that's my personal favorite. And while many people find it tedious to track their food, I strongly suggest doing it if only for a week, but preferably for a month, because most people are quite surprised by how little protein they actually eat in a day. Individual protein needs certainly vary. No, There's no discussion there. But folks over 50 should shoot for a protein intake of 20 to 30% of their total daily calories. Another good rule of thumb that we mentioned earlier is to aim for 0.7 to 1 gram of protein for every pound of body weight each day. Now, the exception to this rule would be for overweight and obese individuals, in which case I recommend aiming for that 0.7 to 1 gram of protein for each pound of goal body weight. So to put this into practice, look at your plate at every meal. Say a quarter, maybe a third of that should consist of quality protein. Now let's look at an example, how this would look in real life. Let's say an overweight woman with a 130 pound goal weight what would she be looking for in protein? Okay, so her daily protein intake would be approximately somewhere between 90 and 130 grams of protein. And that would work out to approximately 365 to 520 calories from protein in her overall diet. All right, so what about supplementation? Your best bet is always getting as much nutrition from real, whole, unprocessed foods first just period. But many people find it difficult to hit their protein targets and protein supplementation is a convenient way to get more protein into your diet. Now there are a multitude of protein supplements on the market, but the most common and probably most effective is whey protein. Now you'll definitely want to do your research to ensure that you're getting a quality protein supplement. You can check out Labdoor 
labdoor.com. That's L-A-B-D-O-O-R.com. It's a great resource and they list rank supplements. And they, of course, they have a list ranking of quality protein supplements and you can check them out there. So not all protein is created equal. Us humans evolved eating a wide variety of foods and we thrive best on a mix of amino acids that occur naturally in different types of protein sources. And this balance range comes naturally if we choose a wide variety of whole unprocessed protein sources. So let's talk a little bit about what those quality protein sources might look like. I want to give you just a, a brief example of some protein sources that you should be eating plenty of, some that you should probably eat in moderation, and some that you should avoid or just eat occasionally. So let's start with what you should be eating plenty of. Fish and seafood kind of top that list. They're great protein sources. Eggs, including egg whites, egg yolks, chicken, turkey, lean beef, bison is pretty popular now, lean pork. Wild game is fantastic. Your plain Greek yogurt is a great source of protein. Cultured cottage cheese, tempeh, and your lentils and beans are another good source of protein, especially for the plant-based crowd out there. Now, moving on from those things, those are things you should be eating plenty of. Now, let's talk about some things you should maybe eat more in moderation. Some of those would be your medium lean meats, your uncultured cottage cheese, tofu and edamame, seitan, which is made from wheat gluten, Canadian bacon, your meat jerkies would fall in this category. Some of your lamb and other type of meats would fall here. Maybe some minimally processed lean deli meats could potentially fall in here. And your supplementation, your protein powders would be in that more moderate category. In terms of things you should eat less of or maybe try and avoid, no surprises here. Your fried meats, your chicken fingers, your chicken nuggets and wings, your high-fat meats, your high-fat sausages, those high-fat, highly processed meat alternative, they're typically burgers or dogs, your processed soy, your processed deli meats. And here's one that surprises a lot of people, protein bars. Most of those things are just glorified candy bars and pepperoni sticks, things like Slim Jims, etc. Probably don't want to eat a whole lot of that. Okay, so I think that pretty much covers what I wanted to talk about in terms of the importance of protein. If you'd like to learn more about healthy protein, head over to silveredgefree.com. And over there, I've got the Silver Edge Guide to Healthy Protein. That'll lay out in a little more detail a lot of what we've just discussed here today. Let's switch and talk about one of my favorite books on healthy aging. My favorite book on healthy aging is titled The Barbell Prescription, Strength Training for Life After 40 by Dr. Jonathan Sullivan and Andy Baker. And this book is split into three sections titled Why, What, and How. In the first section, the Why section, it's written by Dr. Sullivan, and it lays out the case for why strong aging is healthy aging. Dr. Sullivan started his professional life as a trauma physician in an emergency room where his job was to keep patients alive for basically the next hour. 
and he wasn't really concerned at that point about what poor lifestyle factors led that poor person into the emergency room on that particular day. Now, today, Dr. Sullivan owns Graysteel Strength and Conditioning, where he works to keep older people strong and healthy. And as you might imagine from the title of that book, The Barbell Prescription, strength is going to be the prescription applied to metabolic diseases that we see typically with aging. So the first section, the why section of the book, opens up with this description of what he terms a sick aging phenotype, which leads to metabolic syndrome. Now, you may have heard that term before. It's been played pretty well in the media lately, especially in the the health and wellness space. But metabolic syndrome is characterized by obesity, especially visceral obesity, which is that fat accumulated around the internal organs. It is characterized by insulin resistance and hyperglycemia, which includes diabetes and prediabetes. Metabolic syndrome is characterized also by hypertension, which is your high blood pressure, dyslipidemia, which is a derangement in your cholesterol levels. And all of these factors together often result in this chronic system of inflammation, sarcopenia, which is loss of muscle mass, and osteopenia, which is loss of bone density, which leads to frailty, and quite often polypharmacy. Now, polypharmacy is just a fancy word for lots and lots of prescription drugs. And here's the thing. Without intervention, this negative spiral leads to a long, slow, drawn-out decline of health and eventual death. So this is a pretty grim picture. And the grim reality of this is that every single one of you listening right now knows someone like this. We all do. But there's good news. There is a medicine that can be prescribed that can arrest this health horror show. But it isn't where we Westerners typically look, which is surgeries and pills. That's what's known as palliative or allopathic care, which is basically treating the symptoms of a disease with pills and surgeries, but without dealing with the underlying cause of the condition. So Dr. Sullivan's going to make a case for exercise being the most powerful medicine in the world. And of all the different exercise modalities we might have available to us as older adults, he makes a very thorough and compelling case specifically for strength training for arresting the effects of metabolic syndrome. In the second part of the book, the what part, he and Andy Baker discuss exactly which strength exercises are the safest and most effective I'll give you a hint. They are the major compound lifts. And then in the third part, the how part, they break down how to implement these exercises into actual training programs. I would strongly recommend every adult over 50 to pick up a copy of this book. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And I also had Dr. Sullivan on this podcast a while back. You can find him on my website at silveredgefitness.com slash episode 16, or just go on the website and just search Jonathan Sullivan and he'll pop up. All right, coming into the home stretch here, let's talk a little bit about last week's episode on the podcast. So last week I had Catherine Arnston on the show. 
Catherine is the CEO and Chief Scientific Officer of Energy Bits, and she is an expert in algae nutrition. She's a wellness thought leader, and Energy Bits is, if you're not familiar with them, they're a U.S.-based company, and they've launched this premium brand of algae for us health-conscious folks. Now, if you haven't listened to this episode yet, <clears throat> Catherine's passion for algae is contagious. You'll pick that up pretty quickly. She's inspiring and she's definitely thought provoking. We covered a ton of ground in this episode, including what an alkaline diet is and why that's important, especially in disease states. We talk a good bit about why our current commercially available fruits and vegetables are becoming less and less nutrient dense and why this is the case. And then we spend the rest of the episode discussing the nutritional value of algae specifically spirulina and chlorella. So Catherine starts out by making a case that we should consider algae as a food and not a supplement, and that in fact algae is the most nutrient-dense edible substance on the planet. In fact, one gram of algae has the same nutrients as a thousand grams of fruits and vegetables. So if you're like me, not a big fan of vegetables really, to be honest, Supplementing with, well, I say supplement, eating algae, specifically spirulina and chlorella, gets me a ton of nutrients into my body every day. So after doing this deep dive on algae nutrition, I asked Catherine to discuss the value proposition for buying spirulina and chlorella, specifically from her company. This, this isn't necessarily inexpensive, so I wanted to give her an opportunity to talk about the value that's actually in that. And if you haven't already checked out this episode, please do. There is a bunch of great info here. All right. So next up on the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show is Dr. Morgan Nolte. I recorded her podcast, gosh, close to two months ago. I record these episodes typically way in advance. But this was a great conversation. Dr. Morgan is a geriatric physical therapist turned weight loss coach. And she talks to us about her top tips to lowering insulin resistance to lose weight and prevent disease. So she discusses how she discusses what insulin resistance is and how it's ground zero for weight gain, diabetes, heart disease, dementia, and how aging can actually increase insulin resistance and what you can do about it to combat this. So definitely a great episode. And I know you're really going to enjoy this one. So that's our show for today. All of the show notes are over at silveredgefitness.com slash episode 60. And you can also join in the conversation there and continue this conversation. Feel free to leave a comment or a review there. I would love to hear from you. I also want to strongly recommend that you go over and check out Brock Edwards at Midlife Mastery Podcast, and you'll get his take on working together and how he's getting into the best shape of his life and why he's decided to do that and frankly, how it's going. So after just a week in, or I think two weeks in, he's got an episode there chronicling this journey of his from his point of view, right? From the client's point of view. The idea here is that I'll do these periodic updates from a coach's point of view with Brock, and he'll do periodic updates on how it's going from a client's point of view. So it might be fun for those of you that are interested to kind of listen back and forth and hear how things are going from each of our perspectives, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So that's it for today. Thanks so much for joining in. And until next time, stay strong.